0: The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas.
1: Get ready. Tonight we bring a kaleidoscope of topics and we'll try to make real out of this unreal world. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. I always love to hear from you. And as I've mentioned a few times, you can now leave comments, questions, and suggestions with your own voice, and I may air them in future episodes. Here's an example of someone who requested tonight's guest. Here's our friend Melissa with her message.
0: Happy New Year, Mel. This is Melissa Krieger coming to you from the good, beautiful south of the United States in Georgia on a cold winter's morn. I just want to thank you and Veritas for um, going now for me seven years of truth. I love you and your program and many of your guests are just wonderful testament to the fact that there are many of us awake and we're not bearing this load alone. And it's a wonderful thing to have. And I will support you in any way I can um, to have this platform to question reality, and to change and shape and mold the reality as we are all conscious co-creators. Also would like to plug in a potential guest for you, Christopher Laurie Knowles, who writes The Secret Son. I hope you'll have him on. He's an amazing person, father, uh, seer, wise, wise sage, and his work is really, really important now probably more than ever. So please do look at having him on your show. And as always, most, most, most blessings to you and your beautiful family. Love seeing your pictures. Bye for now, Mel.
1: Thanks, Melissa. All the best to you and your family as well. I hope others are not too shy and submit the request just like you did. It makes it more personal. And to help us make sense of things, Tonight's special guest is Christopher Loring Knowles. Chris has over 30 years' experience in the production and marketing of pop culture and has worked on some of the biggest properties in the world. He's the author of many books and writes and reviews for a number of international magazines. He has appeared on ABC's 2020 and VH1's Metal Evolution and several radio shows. He has also appeared in several documentaries such as Wonder Woman, Daughter of Myth and The Man, The Myth. Superman. You can learn more about Christopher Knowles by visiting his blog at sequ- thesecretson.blogspot.com which is also linked at ours. Christopher Knowles joins us directly from New Jersey. Hello, Chris, and welcome to Veritas. How are you?
2: Very good. Very good. Good to be here.
1: So glad to have you. As I mentioned before, it was one of our listeners who really, really lobbied to have you on. And I've spent the last couple of weeks looking at your work and I have to say, it's a, what I call at the beginning, it's a kaleidoscope of work. But let's, let's go, your background, aside from what I just read, what led you to discuss so many topics?
2: Um, probably because I was, you know, brought up in them. I um, had a, a very interesting and immersive religious experience as a child. My mother was a, a church organist and uh, so spent a lot of time in church when I was young and um, had a, you know, sort of a very diverse kind of, uh, religious mixture because, um, she also played at, at a Jewish temple and I also att- attended Catholic mass with, uh, my friends in the neighborhood. So it was sort of like a, a little religious tour every weekend. <laughs> um, but you know, I was really, uh, obsessed with comic books. Um, you know, we were pretty poor and comic books, you know, were cheap. I mean, 20 cents, 25 cents, you know, and back in the day, I mean, that, you know you could spend an afternoon with that, so I mean, I really got into comics um really obsessed with comics from a very early age. I actually uh taught myself how to read at age three with a uh superboy uh eighty page giant <laughs> I wow. still remember that I still remember when I finally figured out that all oh, these things you know make sounds <laughs> so um yeah so i and then uh very early on, I went to work for um, New England Comics, who uh, are probably best known for the um, publishing The Tick, and The Tick is a, a character that's been on several television programs, uh, cartoons and so on. And I went to work for them in, in 1984. Um, I did, a, did some work in uh, cartooning uh, in New York for uh, various licensed projects, merchandising, so I, I have a you know pretty heavy background in uh pop culture pop culture marketing pop culture uh licensing uh did, did did work in advertising did work in package design. So you know I really came to understand how all these cultural memes that we are um bombarded with increasingly in our culture, how they are created, how they are packaged, how they are managed, how they are brought to market. And, and how their popularity is sustained. So, you know, having this background and having this background from my teenage years, really, I, I began to, um, sort of apply that knowledge to things that I, I began to notice in, in pop culture and in the media and in politics, which is essentially, uh, very ancient mythological themes sort of constantly replaying themselves, um, appearing in places where they don't belong manifesting themselves in places where they shouldn't be and um i mean for reasons that i won't go into I, I also had a very conspiratorial bent uh from a very early age um you know began to see the world as uh, not what it appeared to be uh for for very very personal reasons um and that that also played into uh the way i began to see things and um, started getting uh, into UFOs in, let's say, 1990. I, I was working in New York, and and had a friend uh, who's a writer, and um, was really into uh, UFO, uh, ufology, and so on. So I, I got into that through him. So it, it all sort of, you know, built and built. And of course, that takes us into the 90s, and, and you know, the X Files and things like sightings, and you know, very much part of the culture. And then it was a internet, not very early adopter but i got onto the internet around 92 93 and uh started checking out uh, all ufology and all that was pretty early
1: and, that's probably the bbc's though the the, the the bulletin boards before the internet
2: yeah well actually i had a 24 bps modem yeah um at 2400 and uh you know when I finally got 55K, I, I, was, I thought I was like, you know, on the space shuttle. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I loved it. I mean, when I first got on the Internet, it was um, the dopamine hits were, were <laughs> it was like <laughs> heroin being injected into my uh, cerebral cortex. It was just it was addictive. It was intoxicating. It was an amazing experience. I mean, I, I still kind of miss those days. Uh, not kind of, you know, very much. I mean, just to be able to immerse yourself in this universe of information, even though you were paying for it by the minute back in those days.
1: Well, same thing with me. I remember, first of all, I was an altar boy for many years as a child. I uh, grew up in comic books as well. Then Commodore 64 computer in the 80s and early 90s with a 2400 Bud that I had to, I had a phone that had to be on, had to be unhooked and on top of the modem, and if my dog barked, all that information that was being downloaded at night would actually stop. Anyway, that's a long story. But then the
2: Oh, X- I know that story well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the X-Files came along, uh, all these UFO sightings. So everything is in, in, interconnected. But let me start discussing some of the things from your blog. And I'll start picking things from everywhere because y- you discuss so many topics. But the one that caught my attention first... Who's one I've been looking at for the past, I would say, year or two, and I just can't understand why the siren, the mermaid symbolism, and the rising archetype. There's a movie out there. I haven't watched it yet. The Shape of Water. I saw the trailer, but the first thing that came to mind was, and that Ariel was how I met your mother. If you know what I mean. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's a great line. I'm stealing that.
1: <laughs> so w- yeah. what's up with the the meme, a mermaid gymnastics? What are they What are they pushing?
2: Oh, that's an excellent question because it's just everywhere. Um, it seems to be, you know, what I call an emergent archetypal dominant, which is basically like a, an over theme, an earth theme that subsumes so much. Um, let me give you an example. Um, say that, uh, like a god like Isis in, in ancient Egypt. Isis was actually um, a fairly minor local god, goddess, who came to um, absorb a number of other goddesses' roles and functions. And to the point where in early Roman imperial era, I mean, she is ruling – the Mediterranean. Um, she becomes what I call an archetypal dominant. That the uh, the, the great mother figure um, starts from a rather obscure origins, and through a process of syncretism and osmosis and cultural exchange, becomes a figure that really has very little to do with how she started out. Now, the siren is is not unrelated to Isis and. and figures in that lineage but the siren is a character that i believe um personally um represents the the age of pisces because we began to see goddesses um specifically adagardus who is in that lineage that we can trace back through astarte and astareth to um, ishtar and anana um, you know represented by the um constellation virgo but it, I, there's a lot of star magic involved here. Now, with the siren, um the, you know, the, the classical siren is the two-tailed siren, and I, I believe that's a representation of the, the two fishes of Pisces. So I, I believe that when these dominants arise, that there is an element of star magic of astrology, but there's also a, a very deep and very uh, hard-to-trace element of conspiracy, of collusion, of um, cultural engineering, of social engineering. And in the case of the siren, I believe what we are seeing is that the siren has either risen or has been chosen as an archetype to represent this new age that we're all being dragged into rather suddenly. (laughs) I mean, we heard all these things about... um, transgenics and robotics and uh, transhumanism and all these kind of ideas that were theoretical or maybe even imaginary for, for a long time. And then all of a sudden we're seeing the application stage. And for some reason, the siren is, is becoming um, a symbol of this. And I believe that part of this is, is due to the fact that the siren is a transgenic, uh, creature, a transgenic being, either in the um, original conception, where it's a a female uh, associate, combined with a bird, and now with this mermaid thing. So, I mean, this mermaid thing is just being pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed pushed everywhere. And it's being pushed from very interesting places. You know, for instance, you know, the the, the BBC and and, uh, all these major corporations, these major conglomerates, um, even through governments. So, I think there's a, you know, I think there's a natural interest in things like mermaid, but I I think there's a a very heavy and rather unsettling top down element to this that, uh, you know, for instance, Starbucks. I mean, what does a mermaid have to do with coffee? Nothing. There's, There's no association, but everywhere in the world now, increasingly, um, we see that siren icon and in even like the Starbucks coffee, uh, logo has been removed and basically what we're seeing reminds me of uh, how you know certain cult centers say in a city like alexandria would hang out icons of their their goddesses or gods you know to attract people and and it's very much like that it's it's it sounds kind of insane in, in some ways a lot of people might have trouble putting the pieces together but what we are seeing is um you know, basically a large-scale social engineering project that is riding on the backs of this icon.
1: But what is the end game there? Because I remember seeing a few years ago, I think it was Animal Planet that had a a documentary. It almost looked as if they were trying to portray mermaids as real. This oh yeah, push, I mean yeah, yeah. Oh, you yeah. remember that? That's
2: still going on. That's still going on. I mean, there's um, there's another program, and and we're also seeing all these. You know, Facebook and YouTube videos. Oh, this is a real life mermaid. This is a real life mermaid. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, of course, there are no real life mermaids, but they are pushing this. And if you looked at the the imagery and the video, um, you would start to believe that there actually is a real life mermaid out there because we see these people um underwater. They seem to be surviving and breathing and holding their breath. I mean, it doesn't seem like they're you know, that these are all posed and staged. It seems like we're capturing these mermaids in the natural element. I mean, I think the ultimate, and I've been saying this on the blog along, I think the ultimate, um, end game here in, in this regard is transgenics. That, um, this might be a little out there for some people, but CRISPR-Cas9, um, recombinant DNA. I mean, recombinant DNA has been around for, for what, 50 years now? I mean, this is not exactly new science. I just think that we're getting closer to the application stage. And I think, personally, I think a large part of this mermaid um, conditioning is to get people comfortable with the idea of extreme hybridization. And, uh, you know, we've already seen a, a human pig embryo created. Um, we've seen uh, goats um, spliced with, with spider, <laughs> spider DNA, which is just absolutely insane. I, I think there are probably a lot more of these things going on in labs that we're not hearing about. I also believe that a lot of these strange creatures that have been washing up on beaches all across the world are transgenic creatures that have been unleashed, you know, let out into the wild, so to speak. So I, I think that um, transgenics is a much bigger deal than we're being led to believe. I mean, we're hearing about transgenic GMOs, transgenic cr- crops, but I think that, um, you know, the biological uh, uh, aspect of this is is a much bigger deal than, than we're led to believe. And I, I think just the idea of biology, microbiology, DNA, CRISPR-Cas9, all these kind of things are going to play a much bigger role in our future Maybe not long term and maybe not immediate, but somewhere in that middle, that we're start, you know, we're going to see things like um, real life mermaids. I mean, these creatures being created. I mean, we're hearing things about, oh, you know, humans used to have gills. I mean, stories like that being fed into the science media. I mean, it sounds absolutely insane, but look at the people who who are really being hit with the mermaid. Um, conditioning program, as I call it. I mean, it's basically girls, young girls, somewhere between five and six and 12. Now, to me, that says that we're really going to start to see transgenics appear uh, within a decade or so, that we're really going to start to see chimeras hybridization
1: huh, wait what a second you just hit the the nail right on the head because as you're talking I'm thinking that's exactly what I've been thinking but this is not about my opinion it's is yours and your research and I was thinking in my mind the advent of chimeras I wonder if in the past what you used to be mythological characters like the manticore uh, the you know the the you know, all these you know half horse half Half human yeah, and all pegasus. Centors, all that pegasus. Kind of if yeah. that was indeed reality back then, and something happened, there was a cataclysm, and all that knowledge went away. But in the past, if we had that, I know we can't find it in the fossil record. But could it be that we had that in the past, and now we're trying to rediscover the same patterns?
2: I believe so. You know, I, I'm I'm not a scientist, and I'm sort of seeing this from a distance. But I'm I'm what I'm doing is that I'm trying to. Map the um, the way the symbolism and the messaging is proceeding, and f- from that vantage point, I absolutely see this as, re- you know, setting the table for for chimeras, for the the emergence of chimeras. Um, chimeras are a reality. There there are such things. Um, they're being created and released to the public in sort of you know, the, the embryonic stage, the stem cell stage. But if you really start to look at the science, you know, and as many people who say that they, they love science and they're all about the science and all this kind of thing. I mean, I don't think they really pay attention to what science is actually telling them because in this case um, we're seeing so much of this. And, and for instance uh, I just saw a recent story in futurism about how, um, you know, human biology is, can be engineered to, um, Interface with electronics. I mean, this is insane, but this is being put out there, you know, in scientific journals.
1: And there's, and I hate to connect this because I know some people may, may take offense to what I'm about to say, but with this push of the transsexual, transgender, transethnic, some guy somewhere said, today I feel like a female Filipino lady. What about if tomorrow, and this is something I discussed with another guest the other day, I forgot the actual term, but it's trans, disabled, somebody who says, I feel like I'm a disabled person, I'm going to use a wheelchair. Well, now they're going to start deriving disabled benefits. Or what if somebody says, you know, I'm 30 years old, but I feel like I'm 70. So you need to agree that I'm 70. Or people who say, I feel like a cat or like a dog. And what if in the future people who have money pay another country where ethics might not be, you know, an issue. And they may say, I want you to inject something in me to start changing me into some other species. I mean, the possibilities are endless, Chris. Oh, it's already begun.
2: I mean, this isn't speculation. Um, There are companies, and I think the government tried to sort of put the kibosh on it, but I I believe it is still going on. For instance, I believe there's a company called Odin, and I think they're in Los Angeles and they're, um, advertising do it yourself CRISPR kits where you can start to, uh, modify, you know, go in to each line of code in your DNA and, and cut and paste. I mean, this, it's, it's happening. It's not in the future. It's happening. And it's the kind of thing where these kind of changes are so intentionally gradual and so intentionally, um, stage managed in a, in a way that you um sound like an idiot if you try to point it out or you try to object to it. It's like, oh, you know, you're against this. You're against, you know, you're against somebody who thinks they're, you know, a cat or something or marries a ghost. I mean, all these kind of things. I mean, it's like, well, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, just leave them alone. Let them be who they are. It's it's all about freedom and stuff stuff like that. And, and that's fine. I mean, I, it, what people want to do, with themselves is fine by me if they're not hurting anyone else. But I'm worried about these things being weaponized. I'm worried about this all being, again, stage managed. All being very top down. All being introduced into the culture as a way to further an agenda that has been in the planning stages for a very long time. So in this regard, um, things like uh, you know the, the, the trans movement. And, um, you know, the things you allude to, like this kind of very silly transracialism and, and things like that. Um, you know, these things have always existed. I mean, these things have always been part of society and culture. Um, but the way it's being sort of packaged and collected and introduced into the public as something that you have to, you, you can't not endorse i mean it's not a question of like well live and let live i mean you know people want to um, express themselves in however they choose i mean most reasonable people believe that way but it's not about that anymore it's like now you have to endorse this i mean now you not only have to endorse it but you have to be enthusiastically endorsing it and that to me is is a clear red flag that we are seeing something being rolled out and i keep telling people i said you know trans sexualism transgenderism whatever you choose to call it is as old as the hills i mean you had uh, entire priesthoods in 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 sumer and babylon that were transgendered. i mean this is not anything new the thing that is new is the way that this is being focused on children particularly very young boys Um, that is very unsettling to me Uh, you know the implications of that should be, be very disturbing but also the way it's all leading towards what I see is the the real end game, which is, you know, chimeras, transgenics, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they sort of get caught up in a crusade, don't realize that the most, uh, you know, the, the foot soldiers of crusades are always the first to be sacrificed. They're always the first, you know. To the guillotine and and so on and so forth. I mean, you can just look at um, you know the stormtroopers in Nazi Germany and and how they you know the night of the long knives and things like that. I mean, uh, the communist movement, um, the communist revolutions in in Russia and in China and in. Cambodia, I mean, all across the world, um, you know, particularly and certainly uh, it, I think this you can trace this back to, the, you know, the, the Christian movement in Egypt and the monks and so on and so forth. So it's like the foot soldiers are always the first to go. And I think that should be very concerning to people um, who are getting caught up in all this, because I don't believe that the the end result is this sort of um, utopian ideal where everybody gets to express themselves however they please. I don't think that's the, the end game at all. I think it's actually the exact opposite. And I think the real end game here is, um, forced transgenics, forced, uh, chimeras, um, so on and so forth, where you're selected maybe even before you're born to be, um, you know, morphed, uh, to be genetically spliced with, with some other creature and things like that. I mean, it sounds really crazy to a lot of people. I understand that. It might sound kind of extreme, but I'm just looking at the way so many different streams are sort of coming together, and I, I think this is going to be a major issue in in maybe at the most 10 years, and that sounds, again, like I'm taking the leap, but I think it's what we're going to be seeing.
1: Yeah, we're seeing that everywhere. There's a new movie coming out, Alita, Battle Angel. Uh, It's a hybrid with with robotics. Uh, Think of the repercussions for a second, folks. Take a look at this robot, Sophia, which was granted Saudi Arabian citizenship. Now, with this robotization of society, I wouldn't doubt it if also we bring genetic engineering and the creation of chimeras, say 98% human and 2% fill in the blanks, and that hybrid may be use as a worker without any rights because they're not 100% human. Think of the legal ramifications this may have.
2: Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, there's so many of these trends that really have accelerated to to such a rate that I think it's caught a lot of people by surprise. And people have a natural tendency to just be skeptical and deny things and say, you know, what I call the, oh, it's just syndrome. Oh, it's just this. Oh, it's just that. I mean, I I just don't think that applies anymore. I think that for definitely the past 70 years and probably for at least the past 100 years or more, that there's been a lot of people with a lot of money and a lot of knowledge, you know, very, very well-educated people, very smart people, um, very connected people who had an agenda from the outset on how to create a utopian world and a utopian world in which things like human rights, freedom of speech, you know, personal sovereignty, um, are, are, are no longer factors. And, and we, we, you know, we see this, we see this in this movement, um, very prevalent in the extreme left to, um, to tarnish the idea of free speech, to tarnish the idea of constitutional rights, to tarnish the, the building blocks of, of any liberal society, of any liberal democracy, which is personal rights, personal sovereignty, that people have meaning and people have value. And this is being just assaulted and hammered away at every day. And again, I don't think the end result here is some utopian um, workers' paradise. I think the end result here is a very extremely regimented world in which robotics and transgenics and on and on and on um, invade the sovereignty of of the human being on on a daily basis as a matter of course, you know, personally is what I believe. I mean, I don't think this is necessarily inevitable, but I I think that um we're well on that road right now if we don't stop and think about what is actually happening around us.
1: I think the genie is already out of the bottle. Question is if we can put it back. But I think of in the very near future, and I've read about this, that women are going to give the, you know, they're going to choose if they want to be able to carry the baby for nine, 10 months or have it at a a, a, at a place where they can actually have the fertilized egg and they'll have the same, you know, environment as if it were in the womb and women, I guess, you know, this, this is all financial, so they will be able to pay for that. But imagine how many women will choose to, yes, I don't want to keep the baby for nine months. I'll just have it there. Or people like Ray Kurzweil, who think they're going to live forever, but it's so close to us. The fact that right now you have a hard drive in your computer. All you have to do is digitally copy it to another hard drive and the data survives, What tells you that your consciousness and my consciousness cannot be copied into something and then create another TV series, Netflix? I haven't seen it yet. Altered Carbon, where people are Mm. going to be able to transfer their Mm -hmm. consciousness into a newer body. And you, in essence, live forever.
2: Which they call sleeves, by the way. Exactly. I mean, human beings are are called sleeves. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that um, you're actually... (laughs) <laughs> Being a bit conservative here, I, I think that the, the real end result is um, total bypassing of, of human biological reproduction, that um, people, human beings will be engineered, will be grown from stem cells in a lab, uh, incubated in artificial wombs, artificial uteruses, I mean, this is already being done with animals, I mean, this is not speculation, this is not science fiction, it's already being done, um, that what we are going to see is the elimination of human biological reproduction as we've known it. Or, let me just amend this, what some people want to see, I mean, there are certainly a lot of stumbling blocks on the road ahead for them. But I, I believe that that is the end result. And we're seeing, you know, where scientists are trying to construct viable sperm, viable eggs from, you know, cheek scrapings, you know, from, from the barest cell samples that you can possibly imagine. You know, and once that's married to CRISPR, once that's married to AI, um, sort of driving this all along, once that's married to um, transgenics, um we i think that the, the 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 real end result here is the construction of an entirely new human being and probably something very similar to what uh, huxley was talking about in brave new world but you know much more extreme much more um inhuman i think and and that's really what it what it boils down to it's like which direction do you want to go? Do you want to go in the human direction or do you want to go in the inhuman direction? And I think at this point in time, the, the, you know, the fork in the road is, is very clear. It's just that so many of us are seeing the world through lenses that really no longer apply. And I think for a lot of people, there's going to be a very rude awakening.
1: I envision these places with vats, with a hybrid inside, hundreds of them. And I can see how in the future it will be humans 2.0, where you're going to have to merge either with technology or some kind of hybridization. Otherwise, humans 1.0 will be left behind. And those people in the new society will be the ones who would prevail. I hate to see that in a future, but it it seems that we're heading that way.
2: It does seem like we're heading that way. And it's interesting because there's, uh, for instance, there's a new Star Trek series on uh, called Star Trek Discovery and the interesting thing to me about that is that we have a cyborg and we have some alien creatures and then but then we have you know recognizable human archetypes uh, and, and human genotypes represented on the ship on the bridge in these stories um, i think this is just completely misreading the future i i think that by that time, you know, in, in two or three centuries from today, that nothing that we recognize as human would be on the, the the bridge of a starship, if if such a thing will ever exist. Um, I I just I I don't see it happening if things continue on the road that they continue. I mean, there are. I don't want to sound fatalist, and I don't want to sound. You know, like a doomsday merchant here. I mean, I, I think that there is still time to circumvent this reality from emerging, but I certainly see, and it's, it's not even like you, you need to delve into, you know, the deep, you know, you need to go back to the alt conspiracy days, you know, um, you know, on Usenet. I mean, yeah, you don't need yeah. to do that anymore. I mean, it's all being brought out into the open now. It's all being discussed on mainstream pops you know not just scientific journals you know like the lancet or nature or something i'm talking like pop science you know for instance popular science i mean all these magazines that are marketed towards non-scientific people who are interested in science like myself so it's not i'll give you a great example um and and this is something that i think a lot of people who are interested in advancing um you know uh, this trans uh, gender issue should should just keep in mind is that i, I read in uh, MIT technology review that there is a woman who is um basically engineering um the cow genome so that only bulls are born um that only bulls are are born to a certain type of cow and, and that these are creatures that are, um, not only male, but, uh, genetically engineered. So they're, you know, they're bigger and they're stronger and they're, they're more vigorous and, you know, they produce more meat and, and, and all, all these kind of things. But it's like, if, if they can already engineer something like a cow, which for all intents and purposes is, is identically, is, is identical genetically to, to a human being, um, you know, there's maybe a five percent genetic difference there. I'm not sure, but if if they can already engineer this so only male animals are born, um what what are, what are we looking at down the line? I mean, what what what, are, what is the end game here? What is the plan? And if they can create artificial wombs and artificial eggs as well as artificial sperm, what what? What, how do they see their future? I mean, who is, you know, the future human in this calculus? I mean, who is the ideal representative of the human race? Um, I, I think these are questions that nobody seems to be asking partly because they've been shamed out of asking these questions by very well funded uh, pressure groups, but. You know, there's also sort of a cultural stigma against this, but we'd better start asking these questions and we, you know, we better start asking these questions without, you know, the, the uh, implicit kind of adoption of, you know, of of homophobia, of transphobia and so on and so forth. I mean, you know, taking that kind of baggage is not the way that you want to proceed with this. You want to proceed with this, you know, as an open minded and accepting person, but you're also an open minded and accepting person who is deeply concerned About what plans are being hatched by extraordinarily powerful and extraordinarily, uh, wealthy groups that we don't even know. We don't even know who they are. I mean, we can't trace them completely unaccountable, but they're, you know, they're they're bringing money into universities and, and into laboratories and have what some people would see as an insane agenda,
1: you know. But You see, you have, you try to have this conversation with John or Jane Doe and immediately you'll be labeled a conspiracy theorist. You've been reading too many comic books, science fiction. You wear a, a a tinfoil hat. But when it's too late, it's when they'll say, well, I remember having that conversation with Chris a few years ago. Gosh, I should have taken him seriously. Do you go through this? Oh, of course.
2: yeah, Absolutely. I mean, with my own kids, <laughs> but that's, you know, that's the the difference between somebody who does the actual research and somebody who just sort of scans uh, the headlines on their social media feed. You know, I mean the people that you're talking about are, are not necessarily people who have looked into any of these issues with the any kind down. of, yeah, with any kind of even curiosity. It's like, I, I mean, I did something, a series of posts a couple years ago where I was looking at, um, and it seemed to me like some kind of social experiment almost, which just like these absolutely outrageous and ridiculous, uh, pseudoscience articles were being pumped on Twitter and on Facebook and this whole thing, you know, this, uh, dot com kind of mentality. And the interesting thing is that, so the, the, the headline would state, um, you know, you will uh, live to be a thousand and have two brains or something, you know, absurd oh, yeah. like that. And, but, you know, so that would be the headline and people would sort of read the headline or they'd read this, you know, they'd read the sub headline and, and it would sort of bolster that. But like when you went into the text of the article itself, you began to see that nothing like that would ever happen, that this is just some crazy idea that uh, some scientists had after a bong hit session in the faculty room. it's just, it was just, Complete and utter nonsense. It was baseless. And it was, you know, some journalist uh, making an extrapolation on a theory that just had no practical application. But we just saw this over and over again. And it, it seems to have curtailed, but which sort of speaks to me is that this was a, some kind of experiment being run, you know, maybe some data mining or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. But, um, it, it, it also had sort of the secondary effect of where people just stopped paying attention to science altogether, you know, outside of just the, the most uh, widely circulated headlines. Um, and, and I wonder if that was intentional, you know, to, it's, it was sort of almost like aversion therapy to get people turned off to science. I mean, I'm not exactly sure this is all speculation, but the difference between people who, um, you know, say things like, oh, tinfoil hat conspiracy, so on and so forth and you know people like ourselves quite humbly um is just the difference of actually reading the actual articles and not like reading the articles in some peer reviewed journal i mean just reading the the actual articles in you know discover magazine even or you know just some some sort of pop science journal i mean once you get past the headlines you get actually you know the actual complexity of the issue
1: um you're going to start to get <laughs> Pretty paranoid, I think. <laughs> By the way, I'm in the process of contacting a, a gentleman with the name of Chamath Palihapitiya. He was a former executive for Facebook and one of the people behind the programming. And he says that we are being programmed. He does not allow. He doesn't use Facebook. He does not allow his children to use it. And he says that he be being programmed for the worse. He's actually saying that. Facebook is responsible for destroying how society works. Think about it. You go to, to any social gathering, you go to a restaurant, and you see all these kids with their phones on vacation. This is not the way society used to work. At least you and I remember one foot at a time where we didn't have the internet and at a time where we have all these gadgets and social media now. What's going to happen future generations that don't know how we grew up? We understand the difference, but they don't.
2: Well, you know, it's funny because I did an, a series on the blog called uh, Lucifer's Technologies. And basically what I was doing is that I was looking at, um, for instance, Philip J. Corso's book, uh, The Day After Roswell. Yeah. But I was connecting that to um the way things were being discussed. You know, you'll remember this and, and maybe some of your listeners will remember this, but back in the late 90s, when um you know before Corso's book came out and just sort of poisoned the well, but there was a lot of talk about reverse engineering. There was actually a very interesting uh television documentary hosted by Stacy Keach on the topic. And um, you know, this was really something that people were discussing because so much of this technology was just showing up out of nowhere and people were like, What is going on here? What's happening? And and they started to think back on you know, say stories like uh, reverse engineering from Roswell, things that had been sort of bubbling up in the uh, UFO conspiracy underground for a number of years. So, uh, what I began to do is I, I began to look into these stories that were circulating at the time. I, I looked at where they were coming from. And um, one of the uh, large uh, or the more prominent sources of this was a guy named uh, Jack Shulman, who uh, was a computer engineer and was involved with bell labs, uh, in the, in the late forties and early fifties. And, um, he, he did a number of, of talks and lectures and appearances on more, you know, maybe like art bell or, or Jeff Renz. I mean, one of these kind of talk shows at the time, and then he just kind of vanished. I mean, he just vanished. And, um, it was very strange. And then there there was a sort of a message coming up on his website a couple of years later, oh, you know, I was just kidding and all this kind of thing. And it's like if you go back and, and, and read those lectures, the transcripts of those lectures, it's clear that he was not kidding, that he wasn't just joking around, that he was very serious about this. So I began to think of the implications of that and I, I began to see that, you know, digital technology um, behaves like an invasive species. It behaves like a very classic invasive species. It behaves like, um, you know, when you introduce, uh, what, what was it? The, you know, the way rabbits were introduced to, to, to the Australian outback and, and, and how they behaved and sort of altered the ecosystem there, you know, also, um, Asian carp, Asian carp in the, um, Mississippi River and how it's become, you know, very, destructive and problematic invasive species but if you really look at digital technology computer technology the microchip the transistor all these kind of things um, they have altered our society and altered our brain chemistry will be altering our biology i mean they have basically changed everything in, in an extraordinarily short period of time um say just 200 years ago, the tech, the level of technology and the level of general knowledge was not altogether removed from the way, uh, say ancient Babylons would have lived their lives and, and their relationship with simple technology, the plow, the wheel, um, maybe prototypical or developmental um, experiments with with engines, uh, with machines, um, there really isn't a vast difference between, say, let's just go back to 1800 BC and 1800 AD. I mean, there's not a tremendous amount of difference in the levels of technology there. And actually, I mean, you can make an argument that um, things have, have, you know, had risen and fallen that the technology had been lost that um, Knowledge had been lost and you don't even need to get into things like Atlantis or you know, lost civilizations I'm just talking, you know, the, the, the historical record as we understand it, but then from um, 1947 on literally 1947 on you know the sort of uh, gently sloping. It's almost like you're you're riding over um, you know these gentle hills, and that's sort of the the arc of human technological progress. And all of a sudden, it's just like you shoot up into space. So basically, you're on a, you know a, a horse and buggy, and 1947, you you get aboard the space shuttle. I mean, it's astonishing, and people just don't think about it. People don't think how incredibly anomalous this is. Or just this. There's no precedent for this. Um, there's no, it, it's not even like things were just sort of bubbling along and building up in, in scientific journals and labs and stuff. All of a sudden it's just a rocket ship straight up into the, the stratosphere. And the way that technological change has begun to alter our society is, uh, you know, fragmenting nearly every institution, nearly every, um, traditional Grouping of of human beings that that gave life meaning and purpose is being just hammered away at relentlessly, and that there is this future vision of inhumanity of most of the work being done by robots, you know, human beings being altered by transgenics, um, which is really just a fancy word for eugenics. If you right. really think about it, um, transhumanism is, is eugenics. I mean, let's just be clear about that. Transhumanism is politically correct term for for the old eugenics um i mean you'll even see people um in the transhumanist circuit in that orbit um make very guarded and uh circumspect references to to eugenics so but you know here's the thing i mean it's like um and this happened, I mean, you're familiar with the area, Murray Hill, uh, Bell Laboratories. I mean, Absolutely. there it is, uh, you know, on, on Mountain Avenue, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it just completely changed everything. And what it, what I keep harking back to and what it keeps reminding me of is the Star Trek film, First Contact, where, um, the Borg come to invade Earth and get involved in, you know, this huge battle. And, and, and as the tie turns up, and the Borg look like they're losing. They send this pod out and it goes through like this temporal distortion. And, um, the next minute, the, uh, the Federation, you know, the Star Trek, they look down and see the entire planet is, um, is bored. You know, the time planet Earth is now bored. And it almost seems to me that, um, it's almost like a kind of, um, you know, technological panspermia because there are, fringe theorist, you know, John Lilly, for instance, who believed, you know, who talked about the solid state intelligence, um, that, that there was this very hostile force that was um, a self replicating solid state intelligence that was eyeing, you know, our planet that was going through the the, the, the galaxy conquering biological entities, you know, so it's basically silicon based entities, um, colonizing and eliminating carbon based entity entities. So, um, I often think about these things. I mean, this is again, this is really on the far fringes of speculation here, but how, how else would we imagine it, it would work? I mean, how else would a, um, extremely technologically advanced society, maybe so technologically advanced society that's, it's not even something that we would even recognize as such. You know, maybe it's just entirely cybernetic and entirely silicon based and so on and so forth. You know, how would they infiltrate? Um, you know, a carbon based culture, civilization such as our own and begin to over, you know, overwrite, you know, sort of overwrite the code. It's it's very similar to how, you know, a virus enters the bloodstream and begins to replicate itself within your own biology. You know, cancer is, is another example here. So I'm, I can't help but wonder that. I mean, again, it sounds very extreme and, you know, very speculative. But how else would it work? How else would we imagine it work? You know what I'm saying?
1: Well, I can see a future where carbon-based life forms may be merging with silicon-based, I don't want to call them life forms or computers, but that's just what, you know, transhumanism might become in the future. But let's transition now to another topic. I'm, I'm looking at a picture here of Gillian Anderson with the guacmire, the sea monster here. It, you're an expert when it comes to the X-Files. You even wrote a book about it. I devoured every episode of all the you know all the seasons in the past. I only watched the first episode of the new season and haven't watched the, the new ones yet. Why now? Why are they bringing it back? I remember it left a, a big big void and then the series Fringe came along, which I loved it as well. Then Fringe ended and the void is there, but I think after 9/11 and if you remember the spin-off of the Lone Gunman you remember that first episode where they kind of predicted, you know, the scenario of 9/11. I think because those topics were not were tabooed. They decided, no, let's give a break to the X-Files. Why now? Why so many years later are they back?
2: Well, that's an excellent question, Mel. <laughs> that is really an excellent question. Um, you know, the the standard issue explanation would be that everything is being revived, that everything is being rebooted because there're only so many ideas, so many viable ideas out there. Um but if we look at the X-files, um look at some of the people are, you know surrounding the X-files, maybe not necessarily involved directly but sort of in the orbit, it starts to paint a little bit of a different picture. And you know that 9/11 issue in the lone gunman is You know, it's an excellent example because just to give a bit of background here. I mean, Chris Carter is a very interesting guy, um, very extraordinarily intelligent guy involved in science and technology, does a lot of things in those fields that we don't necessarily even hear about. Um, He's also very well tied into this network of um, former CIA and FBI people. And, um, it was through this group that the, the spinoff series Millennium was created, for example. And it was based on, uh, what was called the Academy Group. And the Academy Group were, um, former FBI officers who, who started a consultancy to, um, deal with serial crime. So, uh, and, and Dean Hagland, who played Langley, who appeared on a recent episode of the, the new season, um, you know, was very candid. He said that, there were a lot of CIA people in the mix, that there were CIA people involved with this series from the very early days and that they were giving the producers and the writers story ideas. I mean the the um the Lone Gunman thing, I, I think a lot of people have sort of misinterpreted that. And you know, my if you actually watch the episode and listen to the dialogue, I, I believe that w- Personally, I believe, and this is you know, entirely speculative on my part, I and mean, I'm not speaking for anyone else here, but I, I believe that um, somebody within the, what, whether it's the intelligence establishment or this network of people who, who, you know, who never really quit. I mean, they retire from active duty, but they stay very much involved, and they start their own firms and so on and so forth. So you never quit the CIA, for instance. Um, I believe that um, somebody had told Chris Carter that something is going on, you know, something is in the work, something is in the planning stages, and that he would like this episode to air so, you know, a market can be laid down. You know, sort of like, almost like if these people have have emerged from the shadows, it's almost like. I told you so.
1: Yeah, it acclimated society just like uh, the movie 2001: Space Odyssey acclimated the population about the moon landing.
2: Yeah, well, exactly. Um, so, it, what it's saying in the um, the Lone Gunman episode is that you know there's a there's a character um, who is a retired uh, intelligence agent who's the you know the father of one of the main characters, and and he he has to fake his own death and go underground because there's this whole project in the works to um uh, blow up the world trade center and use that as a pretext for launching a series of um elective wars in in you know islamic countries and so on and so forth you know so basically exactly what happened was being predicted there and and again i i personally i believe that what we are seeing is that somebody was saying you know you either have to warn people this is going to happen or we just need you to lay down the marker because, you know, we will emerge from the shadows or come onto television and so on and so forth and say, you know, we're the ones who told, you know, the producers of the X-Files about this, uh, you know, some something like that. I mean, it's spy games. You, you never know what's going on. But by the same token, I mean, so much of what we see, particularly nowadays, is being manipulated by, you know, intelligence agencies in the military. I mean, that's this isn't conspiracy theory, this is mainstream news. So, um, as far as why the X-Files is emerging now, I think that it makes sense if you look at the deep state war, the civil war that's going on within the deep state, I think that um, this isn't something that's popped out of the ether with the, you know, the Donald Trump campaign, you know, maybe say starting in 2015. And so I think this is something that's been going on for a while. And I think that, um, you know, various, um, parties of interest, you know, within the intelligence community find the X-Files to be, um, a useful venue for, you know, airing ideas or, um, airing particular conflicts, you know, involved. I mean, I'll just give you an example right here is that I was talking to a guy, uh, former um intelligence agent by the way and 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 publicly so and you know we were talking about the x-files and he said i only like the mythology arc you know which is the arc with the the black oil and the aliens and stuff and he said because it's non-fiction and i was like okay (laughs) 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 so basically what he was saying is that like the you know the mythology arc and, you know, fans of the X-Files know the difference. You know, there's Monster of the Week episodes and then there's the mythology that the mythology is essentially, um, is nonfiction. So wow. I mean, what a thing to say, but you know, if you, one thing that I've done on the blog, you know, and in, in, in the uh, Facebook group and so on over the years is like X-Files reality alert. And it's like so many examples of things that were X-Files storylines in the past become mainstream news several years later and you know we just see this all the time and uh so and that sort of speaks to me that um you know not only were these guys like really good writers and really intelligent and really did their homework but i i think that um they had you know little birds whispering into their ears so to speak
1: well i read this today somebody emailed this to, to me i'm not sure if this is referring to the newer episodes or an old episode it's episode 409 that would place it in what season? Would that be season 10, in your opinion?
2: Well, no. The, the way that's written, 409 would be um, ep, uh,
1: season four, episode nine. Okay. Well, this is from back then. What's happening right now with the FBI, everybody knows. It's deep state. So this episode shows Scully testifying to Congress that the FBI has a hidden secret society and they are corrupt to the core. Fast forward to 2018, that's exactly what's happening right now. Is that yeah, that's, synchronicity? Yeah, that
2: episode is called Tunguska, by the way. Tunguska, okay. Yeah, and um, that's a reference to
1: the... Um, the explosion or whatever happened in Russia?
2: Yeah, the, you know, whatever it was, uh, UFO crash, uh, comet, antimatter. I mean, who knows what actually happened there. Um, but yeah exactly i mean that's exactly what i'm talking about that's exactly what i'm talking about that um there was this conflict i i i think you would say within these intelligence agencies that um somebody was using the x-files to air you know what what they would call sort of a, a limited hangout and um I, that's why I think the series is back. And if you watch this, the, the opening episode of the revival, I mean, wow. It's like telling you, have you, have you seen that? You oh, know, absolutely. That, you know, when the, yeah, that very famous scene with, uh, with Tad O'Malley. Right. And, uh, Joe McHale you know, talking exactly what's, what's, what's happening, exactly what's going on. And again, I, I see this as like, somebody within the intelligence agencies is, you know, telling tales, what I call telling tales out of school. And I I think there are sort of a number of examples of this kind of thing sprinkled throughout the entire history of pop culture, as we know it. Um, For instance, I did the series on on Beauty and the Beast recently. And um, the woman who took uh, this very obscure French story and made it into A a cultural phenomenon was 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 married to um, a notorious uh, intelligence agent Uh, you know specifically a a French intelligence agent who is actually a a double agent for the British so that's how Beauty and the Beast um, emerges into the culture 300 years or so ago through this very interesting uh, secret society intelligence agency connection
1: let me end this segment with this after what you said about the X-Files. Yes, that first episode was incredible. So, all the truths that were told in just a couple of minutes there. The way I see it, I think the intention is to put this in people's subconscious mind. But in case anybody says, "To again, I just keep using the name Jane Doe, out on the streets, they say to you, oh, just watching too many X-File episodes. But in reality, people get that in their minds. And if it happens, like the Lone Gunman episode it was there people were acclimated but when we come back folks we have so much more to discuss there's another show called Mr. Robot and they discussed Ashley Madison the Ashley Addison Madison situation months before it was in the news I remember all these shows are recorded six months to a year before airing each season I also want to discuss something that people are not questioning Chris Cornell from Soundgarden Chester Bennington from Blink-182 and Dolores O'Riordan from the Cranberries, I want to know if there's a correlation, if there's a connection between their untimely deaths, and I think you've done some research about this. Chris, how can people learn more about your work?
2: Uh, just go to secretsun.blogspot.com.
1: And get ready what, for run, a- one stop shopping. <laughs> yes, and get ready for a download of information, I've been just devouring all that, and I'm only going to be able to scratch the surface tonight, so hopefully we'll have Chris back in the future. But when we come back, let's discuss so much more. This is Mel Famburgus, and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere.
0: Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or subscribe at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur and other great products. Thank you.